have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard, and you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, and if you're not happy with doing it, What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast, a partner of MoshPitNation.com. This episode's guest is Jason Bold, drummer for Bullet From My Valentine, and you may also remember him from a little band called Pitch Shifter. And with me, as always, shifting the pitch, is Mr. Daniel Terry. How are you doing this evening? Doing good, man. I'm pumped up. I'm sitting here with my Pitch Shifter cassettes. I'm uh, ready to go. And, you know, a little bit about Bullet, you know, that's fine, too. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, in light of, by the time this goes up, uh, there is a little snafu with me uploading the wrong uh, file for the Johnny McBee episode from the Browning. Uh, I want to thank Alfonso Seville of Heartsick for, when that happens, he likes to text me, where's Dan? He, he always <laughs> asks where you are. So that always yeah, usually well, leads me to believe that, shit, I uploaded the wrong file because Dan's not on it. Well, you know, we got a thing going on on the side, so, you know, he's very concerned about that, you know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, thanks to Alfonso for letting me know that. Uh, you know, it was also kind of nice was Johnny shared the episode pretty much right away of me posting it, and I actually had someone on Twitter reach out to me. He's like, no, where did it go? What happened? And I was like, oh, like, people actually give a shit. Like, I've, I've never had that happen. <laughs> It's crazy, isn't it? Like that moment you go from like nobody's listening to this to oh shit, people are listening to this. So I gotta, you know, <laughs> I gotta yeah. get my ass in gear. Yeah. Yeah. So I got home, fixed that, took care of that. But uh, yeah. Um, so in light of Louder Than Life uh, festival being canceled, I was able to finagle some interviews. Uh, this episode with Jason being one of them. Um, they were scheduled to play Louder Than Life, and I sadly uh at the festival i wouldn't have been able to get anyone because they had already been booked solid for the time that they had to depress uh but fortunately for me i was able to get something with jason and you know it was kind of fun because in, in prepping uh, a few days before the show i was trying to think of some fun things to ask jason and once i had remembered that he was in pitch shifter i was like oh boy they're getting ready to do like a 20th anniversary show for pitchshifter.com uh the record that is and uh That'd be really weird to celebrate a website. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah, you have to kind of be in on the band to understand that title. Yeah, um, I just realized that. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where it just made me wonder, like, you know, with a lot of these bands, you know, coming back and so forth, it's like, oh, shit, like, is is potentially there going to be a pitch shifter reunion? That would be cool, man. I'd, I'd love to – I would love to see those guys. Um, I, I mean, I'd drive. I would drive far. I've, I'm, I'm typically, like, a, I'll drive – four hours maximum to see any band you know and uh yeah i'd love i'd love to see them get back together even for just like a reunion tour or something um i'd be i'd be totally up for that yeah it definitely made me wonder though if uh if there's just going to be any new music as a whole because you know a lot of times that's that's what happens you know with these uh these things is that you know a reunion tour happens everyone's uh super stoked on it and uh, then it just turns into a full-on, like, you know what, guys? Let's just uh, let's, let's get in a room. Let's jam some ideas. Let's, uh, let's see what happens. And Well, yeah, when a band breaks up, you know, uh, the, all you remember is the negative. And then everybody gets together, and you're like, dude, we had fun doing this. You know, like, and 
Uh, I've seen that happen with God. I can't even count anymore how many bands now. Like it literally just it always turns into you know either a new album or at the very least like a, a worldwide tour or something that ends up lasting for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And then you know like the other thing too that was kind of interesting is you know Bullets put out a new record, uh, Gravity, and it's being. It's been interesting to see the reception to it because a lot of people actually like I just did a interview with uh, Porter McKnight as of when we're recording this uh, like probably 15 20 minutes ago and it is one of those things where when I was looking at a <laughs> trade socials leading up to the interview I saw someone go this is bullet for my Valentine take notice this is how you change your sound and do it correctly and I was just like huh so it's interesting to have seen the fans re- reaction to the record and as you'll hear in the interview Jason kind of was like there were we tried to make presumably a record that the fans would have wanted it just sound forced and it's not it wasn't there and to me that was really admirable that he said i don't know if any of the dudes have said that like outright like yeah we tried writing like just a heavy aggressive record and it just was not working yeah and that's that's honestly like a big issue for a band like bullet for my valentine because i mean They've had, I mean, let's see, one, two, three, four, five records before that. And it's one of those, like, they've always been kind of metal with other, with some other influences thrown in there. So, like, you get to, you get to album six and it's like, you know, I could see the mindset going to the studio. We're fucking, we're, you know, we're fucking worldwide metal band. We're going to put out some aggressive shit. We're going to love it. It's going to be great. And you're in there for, you're in there for an hour, two hours and you're like, this just sounds like it either at best it sounds just like our old shit or at worst it sounds like a really boring version of our old shit you know yeah i think that's the the tough part about being in a band for as long as bullet has or even like a band like a or like any of these bands really that we've been having on lately is you just get to the point where the fans either aren't willing to grow with you or all they want is the old thing and it's just one of those things where the band can't do that because eventually either all you're gonna do is like well, this just sounds like a shooty version of the poison, or this just sounds like you know, like to try to do temper temper again, and you know, like it's like so you're either going to be compared to the thing that you already did that apparently bands the fans wanted, but not really, or you grow and then everyone bitches like, well, this isn't the bullet I I got into from the poison, and it's like, well, that was fucking. Jesus, I think I was like still in high school. You should have been off the train when when Scream Aim Fire came out then. I guess, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if if that's your fucking poison, um, you know, like, honestly, like, I, I, it's hard because I'm very much the same way a lot of the times. I'm like, fuck it. I always say shit like, this band's not even recognizable anymore, or you know, or whatever. But it, it just goes to show that that metal fans, especially, almost more so than other fans of other kinds of music are very like we don't know what we want like you know do we want metallica to release master of puppets over and over and over and over again no that's not really what we want because we're gonna get tired that the band sounds the same so then they show up with something like a reload and we're like oh bullshit you know like yeah i we just as 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 a metal fan myself i just don't know what i want most of the time i only know what i want after i hear it and uh gravity man you know it's doing well, you know. I think I, I'm I'm pretty surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I was pleasantly surprised too with uh with how well the record seemingly is is doing and you know I saw the show later that that evening and the show did really well it sold really well and yeah and I haven't heard like really that much negative stuff I've heard a few negative things from fans like individual fans right but like publication wise it's doing great um you know I I didn't have any complaints with it, and I'm pretty hard to please most of the time, you know? Yeah, I think that speaks to more of what Jason was saying, though, which was that they wrote what they were comfortable and wanted to write, what felt good to them. And I think that will always stand out. Like, I mean, we talked to Wilson dudes a while ago, and they put out a record that doesn't sound anything like any of the records they've ever done. But the thing is, is they are... It's a term I keep using with everyone we've been talking to lately... They're unapologetically themselves. And I think that's the thing Bullet's doing on this record. I think they were just unapologetically who they are and who they wanted to be and write what they wanted to write. And I think it adds to a more cohesive experience as opposed to just shoving shit in there that, like, oh, we need the heavy song, so here it is. And that's commendable. And I think it even goes back to, you know, talking with Jason about Pitch Shifter. Pitch Shifter was a band that was so far ahead of its fucking time. And, like, I was talking with Jaden from Siler. It's like... That was the thing I loved about new metal. Everyone just went for it, whatever it was, whether it was industrial, whether it was in, in combining a bunch of different styles together. Everyone just went for whatever they wanted to. It was probably one of the most creatively freeing times for hard rock, metal, whatever you want to call it. And Pitch Shifter was definitely at the forefront of that with that kind of, you know, every record was different, whether they had industrial tinges, whether they kind of went more... I guess more new metal with like the samples and the and the different stuff they were doing and the down tune guitars, but I mean it's like I, I don't know. It's just it's interesting to kind of to to know and see when bands like to see someone like Jason who was a part of something big, you know, twenty some odd years ago, and then look at see what he's doing now where he's in another band that's kind of changing the game up a little bit. Like I I think that's interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. And we're seeing just an explosion, you know, um, like you said, just lately of people not bowing to the tropes anymore, you know, like just feeling like they just have to be whatever. Because like pleasing fans is like trying to please investors or whatever. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) After a while, you're almost going to like if you if that's how you choose to live your life or how you choose to run your career, you're going to eventually become resentful of those fans or of those, you know, like, or if you're working a job, you become resentful of your boss, you know, right? because they want you to, you know, they want you to do something maybe that's not that interesting or, you know, something along those lines. Um, and, you know, it, it's really cool now to see bands, you know, because bands did it all through the 90s too, like in new Metal. You're right. It, it's so funny that the, the umbrella that encompasses new Metal is actually like, what, like rap metal, uh, industrial you know, and then just a lot of the times, like you look at a band like Cold or something, and it was just hard rock, it right? Wasn't even really, you know, necessarily new metal, other than just like a couple of little things, or maybe it's the way they dressed or, or whatever it was. And people that actually care about their music don't really like, or shouldn't really give a shit about that stuff. Um, Pitch Shifter being a prime example, you know, like they weren't, they weren't satisfied with just being an industrial band. No, no, they weren't a- at all. You know, and like. I mean, and I do love those first releases. Um, those are the ones that I got sitting on my table uh, right now with me is, is those those first two releases. But the thing is, is that, like, Pitch Shifter was an enjoyable band, enjoyable band for me because 
you know, when I listen to their later albums, I'm not listening to industrial, not the style, the actual album industrial, you know, like I'm not hearing that 20 years later. Right. You know, and that just goes to show, but like what I'm hearing is still good. It's not like compromised in any way. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're a testament to that and seeing, um, and seeing, you know, a band like Bullet for My Valentine, who for a while was a band that I kind of considered to be a little bit more musically stagnant. So for a band like, or a person like me, you know, an album, an album like Gravity is a welcome change and kind of a good way for me to jump back on board with the band again. Yeah, I think it's a very exciting time to kind of jump back and be into, be a Bullet fan. Um, it it kind of reminds you of, of why you got into them in the first place, which is kind of their infusion of a few different styles and, and sounds and genres and how well they were able to execute them. Um, so I think if you haven't been a fan of bullets for, for a little bit, I think this would be the time to actually get into it. And yeah. speaking of getting into it, let's uh, jump into my chat with Jason Bold of Bullet For My Valentine, and we'll talk to you afterwards. <laughs> So I have the pleasure this early evening of talking to Jason Bold, a bullet for my Valentine, here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, on a rather dreary day. Uh, how are you doing this early evening? I'm good, thanks, man. Yeah, um, you know, just chilling out and just got off the bus the first time today. It's <laughs> nearly six in the evening. Yeah, yeah. How is the time difference for you? I mean, there's uh... it's crazy. Uh, just talking to Matt. You know, we were down south in Atlanta, and now all of a sudden we're in Grand Rapids and gone from 30 degrees to nine degrees. <laughs> And obviously the, the time difference as well, you know, one minute we're five hours behind and we're six and then we've been nine and we're just totally spun out. That's touring in America. How how long does it take you to get acclimated to the, the not only the time change, but maybe even the the climate change? Um, it's kind of weird when we got here three weeks ago, you know, been consistently humid and really hot. Um, and back home, you know, it's like a lot cooler mm -hmm. but the, the time change you never really get over it <laughs> never <laughs> never get used to it um just waking up at like four in the morning then drifting back off and that's the way it is you know yeah we're just a mess by the by christmas arrives so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah having done some uh, recent uh, i won't call it touring but just vacationing and getting to be in different time zones like going you know to atlanta going to texas going to you know all over the place yeah. it's been really weird and even my wife and I have been talking about going over to Finland uh, in the next uh, year. And just thinking about how long some of the flights are going to take us to go to some of the places <laughs> we're looking at, I'm just like, I don't even want to do it just for that alone because I don't think I can handle being on a flight as long as some of these flights would end up really being because I, I don't know. I think a major, major props to all of you guys who have to deal with some of those like 12-hour, 15-hour flights because I couldn't do it. Well, if you go to Finland, you're not dealing with only with weather and time but light. Oh, because <laughs> it would be dark all the time. <laughs> well, I'm fine with that. I don't really few, like. Yeah, work, so, so depending on what time of year you go, but yeah, it you know traveling is part of the job, and it's the bit I hate the most about it. <laughs> um, kind of speaking to the new album that you guys recently put out, Gravity. Um, you know, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about 
you know, this is the first record that you've been on at this point in Bullet for My Valentine. Certainly not a stranger to the recording process as a whole. But I kind of wanted to talk about maybe the the transition of being a fill-in person at the time to going into writing because I feel like, you know, in light of the the Hired Gun documentary is a great example where it's yeah. like you're with somebody and you you don't know how long it's going to be or in what capacity. Yep. And so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the transition of being the, the fill-in live person to actually starting to have to come up with ideas and writing new material with the guys. What was that like? Yeah, it was good. You know, it, I mean, I love working with different people. Being a, a hired gun, as you say, for 18 years, I'm kind of used to it. We're used to working with how different people work, and there's some strange personalities out there. You know, I've worked with a lot <laughs> of strange personalities, and you kind of adapt to it, and it's a shock at first. So it was quite an easy transition. Um, but obviously, being a hired gun and then being a band member then I get involved in a lot of the politics mm -hmm. in the band and all the other stuff surrounding the band. So I'm more involved in that. And sometimes it really sucks and sometimes it's really good. But it's just, there's always a side that you you have to keep an eye on, you know, whether you're a hired gun or, or part of a band, you can't brush the politics under the carpet. You've got to get on with it. But in terms of writing though, um, on that front, yeah, it was it was great writing with Matt in the studio I've written with him before Axe Wound yeah for Axe Wound and um, it's kind of weird because part of me thought we were going to write a metal album instead of Gravity the way it turned out but we did try doing that and it just felt it felt stale you know it just didn't feel like nothing new was, was being brought to the table but just playing the standard metal riff so we just for our own sanity and um, excitement if you like we needed to do something different which we did <laughs> speaking to that you know <clears throat> how hard is it to maybe want to voice I don't want to say frustrations but how hard is it to maybe want to speak up and just kind of be like I, I don't know if I'm feeling this but you're the newer newer guy in the band and like you're saying the politics side of things where sometimes it's like can I say that I'm not really digging where this <laughs> is going like is that kind of hard when you're working on something that's kind of changing it is yeah because you know there, there was a definite divide in the band when we were writing um we kind of felt all of us that when we were jamming the metal stuff now this there's something not right here it's not feeling cool so therefore we didn't know where we were going until six months in the writing process and i knew what matt was getting at with added more electronic i mean there's not a ton of electronic stuff on the album you know it's just basically big spacey grooves right um, and bigger songs with bigger vocal melodies. It took Padge and Jamie a while to get their heads into that, but they bought into it in the end. We're all together, we're all playing the songs live, and now in the live environment, it's all working really well with the older stuff as well, you know. With the, I'm not going to call it a change, because I feel like Bullet's one of those bands that's always kind of incorporated a lot of different things throughout their career. Yeah. Even on the first record on The Poison, you know, they, there was different songwriting exactly. examples on that. So the thing, though, that I kind of wonder, you know, with a band being around as long as they have, having a rich lineage that Bullet does, coming in as one of the newer guys to write on this record, yeah. is it is it kind of a little bit more added pressure to live up to what's already been there in front of you? Not really, because, you know, to, to have that mindset of living up to what was before... 
means that you're going to ultimately copy yourself, which is not good. Right. That's when you could stay on the same level and disappear down the rabbit hole. So, no, I think that the pressures are, it's a privilege, you know, to, to challenge ourselves. Ultimately, you have to write for yourself because we're the ones that have to go out and perform it. And if we write just to keep a handful of bitchy, I won't even call them fans, but people that will always knock what you're doing, then you're not doing it for the right reasons. Right. So we have to write for ourselves. We have to perform it and convince people that we believe in something. And at the end of the day, Gravity is a very honest album of where the band is at at the moment. Now, next album, I haven't got a clue what what could happen. (laughs) We might go totally metal. It might be the same sort of album again. I don't know, because... That's, that's like two years away, you know, and we don't know what our minds are going to be like mm-hmm. if we have any minds left. <laughs> <laughs> kind of shifting gears a little bit. Uh, so on the record, you know, I was really, I'm kind of one of those people, like, I don't know much about production, like, in an actual technical standpoint <clears throat> of, like, doing it, mm. but I do really enjoy good production. And something mm. that I always pay attention to uh is drum tones like I'm a I like good sounding drum tones and I know a lot of times like you look at someone like John Feldman I've always said John Feldman has a great knack for making an overproduced raw record like it's so overproduced you can tell it but it still has this raw vulnerability to it and so you know um, Carl Brown is not a name that I'm super familiar with I I think Mm. he basically works with solely out of like the UK and with a lot of those bands Um, co-produced Trivium album Okay. Uh, with Colin Richardson. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I saw that Colin did something on this record too, or like one of the tracks on the record, I believe, didn't he? Uh, don't need you. Thing. I think he he um, had a hand in producing that, but no, I think it's, it was pretty much all Carl. Okay. The thing that I was going to say, though, is I was really mm. impressed with the drum tones that are on the record, and so oh, thank I you. know sometimes that can be either just a, a, an afterthought, like, yeah, it sounds great. And sometimes it kind of tells how much time is actually spent on a drum tone because, I mean, those are the first things you lay down typically. So how long did it take for you guys to dial in this, this drum tone? It, you know, Carl is so meticulous with drum sounds, as am I. and um, We spent a long time on it. We were in one of the best studios in the UK, Metropolis, which has an amazing drum room. And, you know, we were changing snare heads every two songs, every two takes wow. rather, because the, we'd lose the pitch or the tone. The drums were tuned in sympathy with each other. Okay. Um, which makes the drum sound like a melodic instrument. And then the actual tone that was produced, I mean, I had a few comments off people saying, oh, the drums are, sound electric. It's like, no, they're not electric. It's a real drum tone, you know. I used two different snare drums. One sounds kind of dance orientated or urban as I'd like to call it okay which is on the track piece of me in the verse sections okay um but it's, it's the way I play as well because I've got a background I love dance music I'm, it influences my drumming and that's I could lend a you know a bit of that to some of the songs piece of me again being a good example um and the kick drum we didn't want to go for the a typical clicky kick drum Trigger, sound kick drum yeah um, Bullet's done that before and the, the, the type of songs on the album just didn't warrant that kind of tone like a, a, a wet f- fish slapping a worktop <laughs> well, they, fishes are wet anyway aren't they um, <laughs> so yeah it was just you know a bit more of a thumpy kick drum sound and we underlayed it with a, an 808 okay 
sample. Were you using a sub kick? I know a lot of bands are no. trying to use the oh, okay. Just normal, just normal, normal bass drum. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because mm. I noticed like a lot of bands now are starting to use like those sub kicks, and even back a while ago, like something that was pretty interesting to me, uh, talking more about drummers and stuff, was Brandon Seller from Atreyu on. I think it was lead sailing paper anchors or something was using like a 26 inch kit like kick drum just playing around with like how percussive it sounded and different it sounded from everything else yeah and if you go back and listen to that record like his kick drum sounds i mean it's noticeable that it's different yeah. so to me like i always enjoy like people who are willing to do interesting things like that like oh you know like have something that's very identifiable to them like even you know you know vinnie paul had a very unique drum sound and it was a lot of him knowing his tones like how to scoop out the mids on the tones and how he used like his you know he used this the back side of the sticks basically like yeah. most people are using the handle and so it's just always been interesting to me to, to see how little variances that people probably aren't even paying attention to whether it be the tuning to the drums i mean mm. a lot of people probably don't even know you can tune drums <laughs> yeah I, I know what you tune drums what but yeah they're a musical instrument you know um <laughs> but um yeah, it was a, a really good contemporary kit sound that had production to make it modern and fit in with the electronic soundscapes that are in the tracks. Um, talking a little bit more about the the tour, um, as I kind of had mentioned before recording, you know, I've, I've been to a lot of shows over the years, um, and something that I don't think a lot of people understand is a how long tours take to book and how long in advance they are booked. And, and how, how bad the routing is sometimes. <laughs> I had a friend that was on tour. They came up here and then went right back to Pittsburgh. And then we're coming back to Wisconsin a day later. And I was like, who the fuck rooted you? Oh, no. like, this is terrible routing. Um, but all that aside, you know, I think there are a lot of things that factor into tours before a tour is even started. And unfortunately, uh, Kyle Pavone of Weekend is Romans, the vocalist, uh, recently just sadly passed away. Hmm. And when that news hit, I kind of was wondering if the tour was going to be scrapped as a result because, I mean, that's that's a big support slot that's, you know, now suddenly up in arms. And, you know, I we've seen it with the, at the time, Lincoln Park and Of Mice and Mentor had the same thing where Austin ended up having some, some issues and mm. they had to back out and then basically the whole tour was scrapped, more or less. So it was one of those oh. things where I was wondering, like, you know, you guys don't live here in the States, so it's not a simple thing of like, oh, we'll just get our buddies here and everything's good to go. Like, yeah you have work visas presumably and all that kind of stuff there's a lot of stuff ahead of the time of the tour even starting that goes into effect so was there ever any worries of oh shit like now what's going to happen well yeah i mean you know when it happened with we came as romans we obviously were in shock and the way we were going to roll were we're going to keep the, the slot open for them if they want to do it mm -hmm. and totally understand if they didn't Otherwise, if they didn't, we would have just carried on with us and bad omens. Okay. So that, that's what the vibe, we, you know, on a business level, it's very hard to cancel a tour at the last minute. So in that situation, it was just trying to deal with it respectfully and go, oh, right, okay, we'll have to get another support band now. It's like, well, no, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's Bullets tour. So, you know, having a rocking support band is a bonus and... It's a, b a massive bonus that they decided to do it after all, and it's one of the nicest tours I've done. With in terms of support bands being just nice, normal people, and mm -hmm. there being absolutely no ego around, so I couldn't be happier with them. You know, that's awesome. I was, you know, it's one of those where 
sometimes you hear of things happening and people get tours taken away or they because it needs to go on mm. and so it's just the downfall of sometimes the the business side of this thing that we all love whether it be performing going to concerts whatever so it's just one of those like as i was kind of in the weeks leading up to this show and this tour it was like i wonder what's gonna happen with this because like i said there's been plenty of examples very recently of yeah. these things kind of throwing a tour and up people and it's like well shit okay um Mm. On to something a little more positive and, and maybe a little out of left field for you. Um, pitch Shifter. So mm. the band has been dormant for... 2006, I think, was the last time the band yeah, did it. Yeah. I was trying to think if, it, if it's been at least over 10. I know it's been over 10 <laughs> yeah. years. Um, but the interesting thing is, is uh, the band has been somewhat active on socials and even announcing uh i don't know if it's a tour or just a couple of dates uh in november Mm. and obviously with you doing this uh this tour and the other touring that potentially you have not able to play those shows but you know (laughs) i kind of wanted to know you know what what's going on with pitch shifter at this point (laughs) i don't know you know i mean i know I'm, i'm in touch with mark the bass player a lot he's one of my best friends and um yeah they basically got six gigs i think they're celebrating the release of pitchshifter.com yep. that came out 20 years, years ago. ago. Yep. So that, you know, it's, it's like an anniversary tour of that album. Um, and I don't think there's anything else to it other than they just want to get together and play some shows. And I think the demand has been really good in the UK so far. Pitchshifter was always a political band and there's so much going on political now <laughs> in the world i think john the singer will have a field day you know with his uh, on stage banter well what's been really interesting to me is is this resurgence of new metal as it's been and, and i know pitch after indirectly doesn't seem like the typical new metal band i would say you have more and obviously with the the member being in this band as well but sort of the leanings of like the prodigy like where it's like yeah. there are a lot of different styles incorporated but even I would say some people would probably say the Prodigy is a, is a new metal band, even though it's not entirely correct either. But it's been interesting to see this this new love again of Pitch Shifter, and yeah. you know, like I was at my friend's baby shower and we were, had iTunes on, started playing old stuff, and that came on. I was like, oh man, remember when? And you just start telling all these old stories. But what's been interesting as a as a thirty four year old and, and listening, I remember it's like there was a long time where it wasn't okay to be like. Man, I'm throwing on pitch shifter. Like, do you remember this record? And let's talk about. No, that band sucks. This music sucks, <laughs> and you. Everyone tried to distance themselves from it. Yeah. So, as someone who is involved in that scene, is it kind of been interesting for you to see this this resurgence? Yeah, it just it just you know it doesn't surprise me. I mean, people are some really fickle bastards. <laughs> you know, like I remember at the time when we played the Ozfest in uh, the year 2000, we were the only band to have like full-on drum loops and weird noises and dance-orientated things. And, you know, f- people were into gobsmack and disturbed back then. And as they still are, unfortunately. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the time it was just, uh, wow, what the fuck is this? And you go to places like New York, they'd, they'd understand it, you know, where there's more multi-genre right. cities, if you like. But, you know, in the southern parts of america it was like you know what are these faggots doing (laughs) and uh but yeah now everyone's using electronic stuff it's like normal so mark always said bass player from pitch shifter 
you know, we should have T-shirts that say we f- we are from the future on because <laughs> we just always seem to be too far ahead of people's tastes. And ultimately, I think what not finished the band off that that made the band end was uh, every album was different. Yeah, it changed so much. Like you mentioned, the new metal thing, and you know, Pitchshifter.com came out. It was more proper drum and bass. You knew what you were getting. And then Deviant came out and it was like new metal with a bit of drum and bass. And then the next album was more industrial rock. And I think it ended up confusing people. Yeah, that's something I was just talking to uh, Jaden Panessa from Siler and was talking to him because they're kind of one of these resurgence band, resurgent bands coming through. And, you know, something I was telling him was I was like, you know, new metal as a tag encompassed so much like it wasn't nec- it was kind of nice because it didn't have all these subgenres to it it was just oh it's new metal yeah so new metal could be industrial could be you know kind of like the gothic kind of sound could mm. be straight ahead rock and roll could be you know it could be all these things and that's kind of what i really loved about it and bands like pitch shifter i think were definitely a a sign of the times of not being afraid to be themselves and i think that's what i miss most about that era of music is that everyone was so unapologetically afraid to be what they wanted to be yeah, and for that, I think it spawned a lot of creative output. Yeah, um, again, you know, the band just wore themselves on their sleeves and um, come up against a lot of um, nasty people in our career. Um, like who didn't understand us, you know, and were you know maybe I don't know, just didn't understand what we were about musically. We were just too far off their radar. And uh, lastly, while I have you for the last uh, couple of minutes, um, mm. where can everyone follow you on the socials? Yeah, I've got an Instagram account. You know, I, I keep it updated now and there. Now and then. Um, I've got a YouTube channel. When I feel like it, I put up drum videos. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I'm not a super social media guy. I like to have a, a life outside of screens and uh, <laughs> kind of pisses me off how people live their life in screens nowadays you know because i think it can kill people's um drive to be creative and to just create things organically you know to engage in any kind of activity where you're whether you're a kid learning a musical instrument or an artist learning to paint you know the scientists have proven you need 20 30 minutes of attention on that subject where you've got to be prepared for things to go wrong before you get into that mental state of flow mm-hmm. and the problem you know with electronic devices is people want stuff instant now yeah and it doesn't it's not good for the brain so it's just in moderation isn't it uh yes. don't want to get too preachy <laughs> no that's actually what i why i started doing the podcast because i missed this from my life like i don't get this very often anymore getting to sit down with I'm someone talking face to face face to face and if you haven't noticed i pretty much haven't looked at anything other than you the whole yeah. time i've been talking so um lastly i always like to end these episodes out with a song so what would you like me to play it out to doesn't have to be a bullet song can be maybe something you've been jamming on the bus the last uh, three weeks <sighs> a song yeah oh wow you've put me on the spot there um i'm gonna say a song that I've just been listening to Run by the Foo Fighters awesome song I love that album yeah awesome Jason thank you again for taking the time and looking forward thank to the show thank you tonight. very much John so that was my chat with Jason Bold of Bullet for My Valentine 
in a very, very nice green rooms of 20 Monroe Live. I have to say, out of all the venues I've been through in GR, those are some of the nicest. Granted, it's one of the newest venues in town, uh, but I think it lent itself to a really good uh, acoustics uh, as far as not having bands playing in the background, not having a bunch of people uh, being loud or whatever. And uh, Dan, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. No, it sounded great, man. <laughs> like, I could hear everything clear as day. Because um, at first, it was actually so clear. I was kind of like, did they go somewhere, <laughs> like, private and talk? I mean, you did, obviously, but not, like, within the venue. I was like, did they go to, like, a coffee shop or something where, like, there were no other customers? <laughs> or, you know, what What was the deal? And uh, that was a that was a fun little interview, man. Like, like I've been saying, like, I was a huge Pitch Shifter fan, so I was excited to, to get to hear the interview. And... Um, you know, and again, in in light of that new record, I've I've become more of a Bullet fan again. You know, and uh, no, it was definitely cool. I liked, I really liked, you know, him getting into the writing process and basically just like explaining why, like this is this is why that record sounds like it, and we're totally all about it. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, when you know that you're getting about fifteen twenty minutes with somebody, it's it's really hard to prep uh, for that because I I fifteen twenty minutes doesn't seem like a lot of time. And admittedly, sometimes it is not, but I definitely think in light of the fact that I've had quite a bit of interviews that are that length, I've gotten better at figuring out how to formulate a a, a pattern, or not a pattern, but a, a, a narrative uh, that works, that you can kind of get into, you get a lot of information out of it, and you kind of can meander around, get some extra cool stories, but... It's not any one thing that you're going to go on a deep dive on. And to me, it was like, okay, like let's talk about the new record. Let's talk about you going from being like a fill-in hired gun to now writing with the band on the new record. The expectations you put on yourself or that maybe the fans have for you to do that with a band that's got as rich of a history as Bullet does. And, you know, kind of talking about the drum tones, because, I mean, as you mentioned, there are some interesting drum tones on this record between I did I didn't realize he actually used different snares at different points but I mean it goes yeah. it just makes sense and you know like when he started saying all that I was like thinking about pitch shifter records and I was like you know that makes sense that you would have more you would vibe better with something like that because you have experience kind of playing multiple different kind of genres even sometimes within one song yeah yeah absolutely like, I mean, some experimentation is kind of expected, you know, um, whenever he's got that background, because I mean, shit, I mean, pitch shifter was all over the place, you know, and, uh, and now bullet, it kind of is getting, getting a little bit of that tinge, uh, to them as well. Um, although it's kind of weird because for as much as everybody comments that the record sounds super different, I think it still very much sounds like bullet for my Valentine. Like it has different elements to it, but it's not like, Whoa, who's this? Right, you know, or, right. You wouldn't you know, put like, it in and be like, "I have no idea who this is." Right. Yeah, and I think uh, you know something too that makes it a little easier. And I think it's not to cheaply plug your podcast, but I think when you kind of do a discography run through in a very short amount of time, you like you've said, it gives you a perspective that I don't think you get when you have gaps of time in between records, where you know maybe you haven't listened to the first record in a while, or you haven't listened to the the newest record, the one before it in a while but sort of like you know it's, it's kind of interesting because i was equating this to binge watching tv shows like when some people are like oh well this season was so much better than this one or this one didn't make any sense but it's like like i remember orange is the new black when we started my wife and i started binge watching that before the new season came out 
And I have a good memory, so I don't. I can typically kind of float in and out of those things, and it's fine because I have a good memory for what happened. Um, but she would be like, oh, I forgot this happened. And then I'm like, well, did you like this season? She goes, oh, uh, yeah, it was a lot better than I remember it being. And it's like, well, because now you're watching the story all at once as opposed right. to, like, here's your 10 episodes, here's your 10 hours, and then you're waiting a year, and then you get the other 10 or whatever. You're not looking at it as a single entity anymore. You're looking at it as the continuation of this story that's going, like, longer form version of a story. And I think when you look at, gravity compared to a lot of the other bullet records i think you'll see some of the experimentation and i mean it was like i said earlier it was there all along like i mean you have slower softer songs on on the poison you have different stuff going on 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 throughout the rest of the records i think this is the most adventurous at one point that they've been but i'm i'm not nothing on the record was just like huh never saw that coming yeah like if i was doing it if i was doing a full discography binge on bullet I mean, listening to all that stuff together, it would all, like, some of the stuff that people think is so different and so new and so changed is really not. Yeah. You know I mean? It is. It, it, there are new and interesting elements on that record. Like, there are. But, like, it's not like, you know, like I was saying earlier, it's not like it was contrived in some way. Like, it's, 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 it's what we could expect from the wheelhouse of the band anyway. But, you know, you've also got some fresh new blood in there and some experienced fresh new blood at that. Yes. So, you know, yeah. that, that I think that that's really what you can take away from it. Um, something else I want to I want to take a moment to talk about. Um, so for those who, who don't know, and I think I, I you'll hear me mention these when I do the live in person chats. Um, I do literally write everything down uh, that I'm going to ask somebody. And a lot of times I will write and rewrite my questions. I'll have various questions that I'll scrap because I, when you, as I've kind of learned, you're not going to write something down. And when you look at it, as you're rereading it back to yourself, you're like, that's, that's a bullshit question or that makes no fucking sense. Scrap that. And you, you learn how to shape your questions better. I think when you're actually literally able to look at them. Plus on the flip side of that is at that point, you're not going to invest any time to write something that's not worth the time. No, I, I would hope. <laughs> yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, so in that, and I think I, I feel like I did a good job of explaining why I asked this question. But for those who may or may not know, I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, there are plenty of bands that are from this area that are of name value. We came as Romans being one of those bands. When the news of Kyle's passing hit, um, I'm not saying that it didn't affect any other scene or any other state or any other people differently than it would have anybody else. But I will say for us here in Michigan, for me knowing people that know Kyle, that know that band, that have toured with that band, it's different. And every time I was writing these questions, I couldn't, I, I didn't not write that question down because as I said in the interview, it's, there are so many behind the scene things that I have come to learn from booking shows, from having friends who tour. There are so many things that do and don't happen for the dumbest fucking reasons. And if I could tell you all the things that were supposed to happen that almost happened, if you listen to podcasts and hear all the things that almost happened and why tours were taken away and so forth, 
what happened to Kyle and what happened to We Came as Romans, it's there have been tours that have been canceled for someone not dying, just getting sick because they couldn't replace the big support band. And at the end of the day, you know, Bullet is a band that has to get work visas. It has to do so much more to come tour here in the States that turning down a tour or changing it in any way, shape, or form is a huge thing for this tour. So with We Came as Romans, it wouldn't have surprised me if someone at, at the top would have been like, you know, it's real. I'm really sorry, guys, but unfortunately, this is a business and we need to move forward. So uh, we're going to fill your spot with somebody else or we're going to move up the, the opener and we're bad omens and we're going to find another opener for the tour and we're going to continue on. Good luck in the, and hopefully maybe in the future we can do something down the road. And that wouldn't have surprised me. But the fact that the band reached out to them because it's their headlining tour and they have some say, which I think speaks volumes too to how invested the the guys are as the band of Bullet for My Valentine in their business. That they never there was never a question that it was not going to be We Came as Romans supporting them on this tour. It was there. It was up to We Came as Romans to decide what they wanted to do, and the band was going to back them whatever whatever decision they made. And to me, like I said. I've I've heard so many stories where, like I mentioned, that Lincoln Park of Mice and Men tour, Austin got sick, tour went away. Like the whole tour crumbled basically as a result of it happening so close to when the tour was going to start. And that's that's a band that just basically had a vocal issue with their singer, not a death, you know. Yeah. And I also, if you don't follow me on the socials, um, I posted on Twitter. Um. I'm not the biggest We Came as Romans fan. I, I never really have been. I admire what they do. I think they're a great representation for our Michigan metal scene and, and, and kind of putting their own spin on it. I think they are a good extension of what bands like, you know, Still Remains and, and For the Fallen Dreams and a lot of these other bands that have gotten successful in our area in that, that genre have done. Um, that being said... I knew it was going to be an interesting show because it's the first show here in Michigan uh, that they played since this happened. And the energy in the room was it was fucking incredibly electric. Um, during the band set, to, to look around and see people just having this, catharsis, this cathartic release to see the band just going harder than I think I've seen the band plenty of times. I think this is the hardest I've ever seen them play. They literally left it all on the stage and put everything into every song and hearing, I don't know the, the other vocal, the guy who typically screams, I don't know his name, but uh, hearing him sing Kyle's parts, you know, I don't, I don't know if a lot of people know he could sing already pretty well, but to hear him with kind of this extra, uh, strain uh emotional strain singing some of these songs and and really hearing the words that kyle was supposed to be singing and and in light of him not being there anymore it was very it's just very surreal like i i mean i'm dan can actually see me kind of i'm not even looking at anything i'm just kind of like remembering the vibe of the room in my head right now um it was really fucking emotional um 
I ended up crying a bunch and I did not expect it. But like I said, it's it's hard to I don't think you can be in that room and understand the the severity of what happened and what it what that band means to so many people, especially us here in Michigan, and to see just everything. The, the the way the band played, the way the room was reacting to it, the random every couple of songs, you know, Kyle chants. Um unprovoked. Um it was just it was insane. Um, it's definitely one of those things like I don't think I'm ever gonna forget being in that room for that show. Um and it's I remember texting uh Bullets TM and I was like, I don't know if all the other shows have been this intense for their sets, but I don't know how any of you guys are able to to not get choked up for their set because it's just it's so overwhelming and powerful and um yeah so i mean if you're going out to the show and you are even maybe a casual fan of we came as romans do yourself a favor and, and go go see them um i like i said i can't speak to any other show if it's if it's only going to be our show that's like that but it seems like every show's pretty special and unique uh for its own thing um but for anybody, the whole point of me bringing that up, for anybody who kind of thinks it's distasteful for me to ask that question, um, just know that for me, every like I said, every time I wrote these questions to ask Jason, I kept basically in it. Just it just wrote itself. I just I, I had to know. I had to know what it was like uh, for them because I I think that's a very real thing that they have to go through. And I don't know if anyone else is going to ever ask them that. And I don't know if it's disrespectful to ask that question, but for me, it was something that I really wanted to know the answer to. And I think shows, like I said, I think in him answering the question as honestly as he did, I think it really does show how much the guys that make up the band really run and have a say in what happens with their, their band, their tour, their whatever, and even goes all the way back to gravity as a whole. I think even in the answer to that question about We Came As Romans kind of speaks to the band just being unflinchingly themselves and, and being comfortable in who they are and making the decisions that they want to make. Um. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I, I got really I, uh... got really deep there. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, and I, I can't identify as personally, but I didn't think that it was inappropriate to ask um, by any stretch. I mean, I think that's something that you know, I, I disrespectfully would, would would be getting so personal or coming in with a douchey tone about it or something, and everything you know seemed genuine, and I think that's why you ended up actually getting an answer to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I uh, guess I didn't think of that. Yeah, I mean, typically if we if we come off and we're interviewing somebody and we come off like douchebags, we're not going to get any of our questions answered. <laughs> you know, it's true. And uh, so you have to come come from it from a genuine place. But uh, and I understand. Um, I can't identify with it, but I understand. Yeah. Yeah, it was a. Uh, it was very intense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know if like it, it is conveyed. I, I. I don't know. It's. It's obviously stuck with me. Um. Since the show happened. Um. And it. It's. I haven't been to a show since. But. I. Uh, I don't know. I, I. It's one of the. Like I said, it's an experience I'm never gonna forget. I. 
I don't know. I feel like potentially going to see the band the next time is going to is going to be hard because uh, I, I don't know. I just you know, it was really weird. A friend of mine that we went to go see the band with um she was like I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this show. And I kept thinking to myself I was like that's a very silly thing to say. Like I I don't know. I guess I've never there's never been a band that I that I've loved i guess that doesn't have their original vocalist that i've seen since that person's left the band sure i mean i've seen scott step or i mean scott step <laughs> i've seen stone temple pilots with scott wyland i've seen lincoln park with chester i've seen you know a lot of the bands i can think of with, with people passing away recently i've seen all of those bands with their original members and intact and I mean, for the I know Stone Temple Pilots are going on. Uh, Alice in Chains is one of the few I can think of that I have. Actually, I take it back. I guess Alice in Chains is a band that I have seen where I think the stuff they're doing now is just as good, if not a little bit better than what they were doing, but is a prime example of a band who took some time away, figured out who they were, what they wanted to be, and, and took another stab at it and is doing it brilliantly. And yeah. maybe for We Came as Romans, like that will be the the same sentiment for me where maybe I wasn't necessarily the, the biggest fan. I could appreciate what they were doing before, but it's going to be this new stuff that's going to have me really interested in and, and wanting to, to be a fan because of what I experienced at this show. Yeah, yeah I haven't been to this. I'm sorry. No, that's I, fine. Uh, <laughs> I haven't. Uh, no, I was about to say I haven't been to a show in a while, but I guess I did go to a show pretty recently, but uh, not in my hometown. So, I, you know, it's hard to. I don't know where I was going with that. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't mean to, to kind of bring the vibe of the, the interview or this whole thing down. Uh, definitely not my intention, but. Um, no, but I, it's important. Everybody needs everybody. We need to take the time. Yeah. As a society, we need to take the time. Yeah. You know, everybody's just so like, well, now what? Well, now what? Well, now what? And it's like you got to think about the people Yeah. that are involved in this, the actual other human beings that are dealing with this. You know, it can't just be, you know, well, well, what's next? You know? Yeah. It's my two cents. Yeah. Um, I guess in light of the, the brevity of, of what I just said, um, I guess we'll kind of wrap up this episode. Um, so if you would like to follow Jason uh or bullet for my valentine on any of the socials uh they're currently out again on the gravity tour the record's already out via spine farm records uh so go pick it up and support the band and uh the tour will be going on for a little bit longer and i'm sure there's going to be plenty of touring in support of this record so if they come to a city near you go see them uh you can definitely get a lot of uh a whole wide array of the band's catalog so it's really great to i mean right out the gate like within the first couple of songs you're getting stuff off the poison so uh they definitely honor the rich legacy of their fans uh, and play a little bit of everything. Um, all that being said, again, if you'd like to keep up with Jason, you can find him on Twitter at Jason underscore bold. That's B O W L D. Uh, you can find him on Instagram at Jason bold, all one word. Uh, also follow him on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash C slash Jason bold. Check out his drum covers uh, and stuff like that. If you are a drummer or just interested in what he does, uh, it's a good watch. Uh, if you'd like to keep up with a bullet for my Valentine, it's pretty much just BFMV official everywhere you go. Um, keep up with them. And uh, Dan, where can people follow you? 
You can follow me on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. Uh, you can find me on Facebook under Dan Terry or Daniel Terry. And uh, you can find my other podcast at DiscussMetal.com. Uh, you can also send me an email at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. So if you can't get a hold of me, it's your fault. <laughs> and if you'd like to keep up with our show partner at Mosh Pit Nation, you can find them at MoshPitNation.com. Find them on Facebook at MoshPitNation, West Capital MI. And Twitter and Instagram are simply MoshPitNation. And if you would like to keep up with our show sponsor, The Bean Bastard, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram at The Bean Bastard. Or go over to TheBeanBastard.com and pick you up some delicious coffee. And if uh, you would like to keep up with the podcast, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Johnson Title Podcast. Tweet at us at Johnson Title Pod and email us at JohnsonTitlePod at gmail.com. We are going to end this episode as we always do. And as you heard Jason say, he wanted me to play it out with a great fucking song and an even better video. I mean, this band always has great videos and great songs, so I'm not surprised. But uh, it is Run by the Foo Fighters off of their newest record, Concrete and Gold. Uh, If you have not heard it for whatever fucking reason, do yourself a favor. Go pick up that record. It slams. Uh, You can go check out Dave Grohl doing that whole literally called play, uh, 20 minute of him just building a song on every instrument because Dave Grohl is the new Lemmy. He is God. Um, This is uh, Run by Foo Fighters. We'll talk to you next time. (laughs) 